ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Work With Purpose, a podcast about the Australian public service. My name's David Pembroke, and thank you for joining me. My guest today is Andrew Metcalf, the Secretary of the Department of Agriculture, Water and the Environment. Andrew began his career in the Australian Public Service way back in 1980 when he joined as an administrative trainee. In a distinguished career of public service, both in Australia and overseas, Andrew has served in key portfolios including immigration, ethnic affairs, agriculture, fisheries and forestry, as well as the environment. Andrew served as Chief of Staff to a Federal Minister and advisor to the former Prime Minister John Howard on international affairs, national security and machinery of government issues. Andrew was appointed Secretary for the Department of Immigration, Multicultural Affairs and Indigenous Affairs in 2005, before a brief stint as the Secretary of Agriculture, Fisheries and Forestry in 2013. He took up his current role as Secretary of the Department of Agriculture, Water and Environment in February of this year, following a stint as a senior partner with the global management consulting firm EY. He joins me in Studio 19. Andrew, thank you for joining Work With Purpose. Thanks, uh, thanks David. Great to be here. Now, before we get started, I will declare an interest. Um, I've known and admired Andrew Metcalf for the past five years or so. Uh, a mutual friend of ours, the former ABC sports commentator Tim Gable introduced us. And in the intervening sort of five years, we have caught up most months to discuss the power of content and how it can and should be used to tell the stories of government. Now, in those conversations, Andrew quite regularly would return from one of his many adventures to Italy with his wife, Jenny. And let's just say there's no such thing as a short conversation when Andrew Metcalf starts taking you on a virtual tour of Italy as he speaks passionately of the people, the food, the wine, the culture. Andrew, on a day when it's confirmed that COVID-19 has now claimed the lives of more than 20,000 Italians, how do you react to that news? Oh, it's uh, obviously a, a global tragedy and uh, uh, in parts of Italy uh, um, a, a deep tragedy for, for families and for uh, communities. Uh, uh, we've uh, travelled to many parts of Italy um, and just thinking of uh, how the Italians with their great uh, joy of life um, have uh, uh, approached uh, what's effectively been extreme social distancing, um, 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 the, the tragic loss of life which now hopefully has reached its zenith and is starting to come down the other side. Um, it's, it's hard to believe um, and we'll go back to Italy. We were hoping you go back there in a week or so, in fact, and obviously that won't happen, but uh, next year or the year after, uh, we'll go back and it will be interesting to see how the Italians um, have responded. But I should also say that we've, of course, seen those uh, those wonderful YouTube videos of, mm. uh, of Italians uh, celebrating life, coming out on their balconies, uh, singing um, uh, with each other, uh, and that irrepressible um, Italian spirit obviously lives on. So in terms of, of just observing this in, in the role that you're in, this, this pandemic, how, how have you observed it or have you just been so busy getting the work done that you really haven't had time to think about it? No, well, I think we all uh, sort of look back and think, uh, um, gee, those, uh, those movies that we saw a few years ago, it's actually, uh, it's actually real. Um, you know, this extraordinary spread of a disease which for some people um, is a minor irritant but for other people is deadly um, and uh, which because of the connectedness um, of people around the world has spread to virtually every country uh, on the planet, uh, some of which uh, 
are well prepared, some of which are less prepared, some of which have governments that are able to take decisive action like ours, um, or others that, that are simply unsure about what's happening. So this has got a long way to run. Um, it will profoundly change the way that people think about the world, I think, in, in some respects. Um, but of course, uh, back here at home, I've been very much involved in the Australian response um, over the last couple of months. Indeed, from the, the very first day I started in my, my role as Secretary of Agriculture, Water and the Environment was the day that the government introduced the first travel bans on uh, entry from China. Uh, and it's been a very busy 10 weeks since then. So in terms of that, and take us back to that time, because I think the other thing that really sort of probably needs to be recognised, certainly as far as the public service is concerned, is that this came at the end of the, the uh, you know, the devastating bushfires. So the public service was already stretched, you know, through that Christmas period, and now to have had to have or now having to deal with the pandemic, like going back to that period where you just where you started, um, did, were you feeling the pressure already from bushfires? Uh, well, certainly the de the department and I know many others were very focused on the uh, the response and the recovery up to bushfires. Uh, um, the environment uh, parts of my department, of course, uh, um, were critically involved in uh, many aspects of uh, the government's response to the bushfires. Um, our threatened species commissioner, for example, has played a, a pivotal role. Um, given the tragic loss of, uh, of ecosystems and of, uh, of native uh, wildlife, um, um, over a billion animals, uh, uh, we, we think, uh, were killed um, through those fires. Um, and on the agriculture um, side, um, um, obviously the bushfires have come off the, uh, the back of a continuing um, awful drought um, that's impacted, uh, you know, on so much of Australia. Uh, the bushfires themselves didn't uh, impact on a lot of um, highly productive agricultural country. They were mainly in areas of forest and uh, national park, but uh, clearly um, for me coming into the role um, just uh, uh, at the beginning of the year, um, that was a huge focus for us. Mm. Uh, and then, of course, um, there were the emerging stories uh, about the uh, uh, the uh, epidemic in uh, in China, and uh, you know the rest is history, so to speak. It's been a very busy period for many of my colleagues, uh, uh, both uh, in my department, uh, but working right across uh, the Australian Public Service, and indeed with governments around Australia. So, in terms of that, how how then have you been able to deal with the immediate challenges of of the pandemic, and continued to run business as usual. How, how, how are you able to manage that or, or can't you manage that? Oh, no, we are managing it, but uh, you obviously get very uh, focused on priority setting. Uh, indeed, uh, I'd say that uh, the vast majority of the, uh, the uh, divisions associated with agricultural productivity uh, and uh, innovation are now focused on the government's response to the pandemic. Uh, in normal times, they'd have a, a range of other reviews and uh, inquiries that they'd be uh, dealing with, and uh, some of those we've pushed back a little bit, um, or others we've slowed down um, a little bit. Uh, so we've obviously redeployed um, to focus on the, uh, the urgency of the situation. Uh, our biosecurity group, uh, which is the largest part of the department, um, um, a large number of people uh, in Canberra, but most of those uh, staff outside Canberra have obviously been the front line um, of the, uh, the response to the pandemic at airports and ports, um, in mail centres and, uh, and elsewhere. Um, and uh, all of those folks have been critical around ensuring continuity of, um, of food supply. Uh, and um, uh, Australia, of course, uh, uh, grows far more food than we consume. We're a very major agricultural exporter. But just ensuring that as various uh, uh, um, 
controls were brought in uh, around state borders, around social distancing uh, and whatever, uh, that uh, food products were able to be um, um, harvested and get through to consumers has been a key uh, ob uh, activity for us as well. Mm. So could, can you describe then, say, some of the work of that biosecurity workforce in, in detail? What sort of things are they doing to, to keep that... Um, supply chain moving? Uh, well, the, um, the biosecurity uh, group within my department uh, effectively are focused on um, animal uh, and plant and other pests uh, that uh, may enter um, Australia. Mm -hmm. uh, we've also got staff um, in that uh, group and elsewhere who are very much focused on the, uh, the, the guarantee of um, safe food from Australia uh, as well. Um, so we're involved in the clearance of imports, both people and, uh, and goods, uh, from an uh, animal and plant health perspective, and we're involved in uh, the clearance of uh, exports uh, for certain products, meat and grains, for example, to ensure that um, international trading partners regard them as being safe uh, and, uh, and uh, being of high quality. So we're involved right across the food chain from that point of view. Uh, in relation to human biosecurity, uh, the uh, Director of Biosecurity is the Chief Medical Officer, uh, but in relation to animal and plant biosecurity, uh, I'm the Director of Biosecurity for Australia. Mm -hmm. But in terms of that, your people, though, um, do have a role to play, don't they, in terms of that human biosecurity, where they're, uh, that's as you correct. say, at, at those border points, they that's are right. involved. We, uh, we act uh, effectively as the agents uh, for the, uh, the Chief Medical Officer for the Department of Health. So uh, at our borders, uh, of course, uh, is a shared working environment. Um, border Force uh, um, effectively takes on the immigration and customs responsibilities. Uh, do people have permission to enter Australia? Are they bringing contraband uh, with them um, um, uh, and uh, from a, a customs uh, perspective? Uh, but my staff uh, have the, uh, the biosecurity uh, role and you'll often see them um, at airports um, uh, looking for uh, um, any products that may ca cause a biosecurity perspective. Mm -hmm. um, um, the most famous way that that occurs is when people are lined up and uh, one of our sniffer dogs goes along and, uh, and sees whether there's any, anything in there, whether it's uh, you know, pork products or honey products or whatever it might happen to be. Now, this is a very important role that's undertaken uh, because um, uh, while we are obviously at the moment focused on a pandemic um, in relation to human health, uh, there are many uh, diseases uh, that if they were to take, uh, um, take hold in our animal population um, or our plant population could be quite devastating for parts of the economy as well. Mm. Foot and mouth disease is probably the best example of that. Right. Um, so uh, Australia is FMD free uh, and we work very hard in relation to that. And a more recent disease which has uh, decimated uh, pig populations around the world um, is known as African swine fever. And we have a particular focus in relation to pork products so that we can protect the, uh, the Australian pork industry, for example. But on human health, we're the agents for the Department of Health, uh, and so we effectively uh, um, undertake our role um, representing um, the requirements of the, uh, the Chief Medical Officer as to what sort of um, um, issues should be um, identified in relation to passengers arriving from overseas. Does it, does it scare you, this, that this spread of this, that this human virus, does it scare you that, that some of those, you know, foot and mouth and African swine flu could... You know, different strains of them could now move much more, f much faster than perhaps uh, earlier well, anticipated, and, and cause that devastation that you uh, talk about. Uh, ironically, uh, because of the uh, 
um, the, the shutting down of the uh, the world's borders uh, for people movement. Um, um, you know, we of course seeing far fewer passengers arriving right. in the country, and therefore far fewer potential uh, carriers of um, of diseases for plants or animals. Uh, we still have a focus, obviously, on mail centres and uh, and packages that may be sent into Australia, uh, and uh, we uh, obviously have a strong focus um, at our ports um, as well, um, because uh, you know trade is continuing uh, mm. through this period. Uh, but the large scale um, number of passengers arriving. Um, is one less risk, actually, uh, that we have uh, okay. at the moment. Right. Um, listen, we were supposed to do this interview last week, but you rang and said um, the Prime Minister called, so I've, I've got to go and see him. That's fair enough. Um, what did he want? Uh, well, the Prime Minister has been... Um, um, I don't know how he does it. He's been incredibly, um, incredibly um, hard-working uh, through this uh, uh, period and has now um, um, basically set up a, a weekly cadence of, uh, of discussions that lead to National Cabinet meetings, um, through uh, meetings of the Federal Cabinet, uh, the National Security Committee, the Expenditure Review Committee. Uh, but he's also focusing on um, discussions with, uh, with particular groups of ministers about particular issues. So we now have a regular meeting with the Prime Minister by video by Secure Video, um, uh, in which uh, we talk about uh, um, the impact on particular industries or sectors um, of the pandemic and the response to the pandemic, um, but also on other issues. So that business as usual point that you uh, made before. Mm. Uh, and so that was the first of these discussions that we had uh, with the Prime Minister last week and involved uh, the three cabinet ministers from uh, my portfolio. Um, um, uh, Minister Lee, Minister Littleproud, Minister Pitt, uh, as well as the Deputy Prime Minister. So. Okay. So, in terms of, you know, you have only recently returned to the public service after a, a spell out in, in the private sector. Um, perhaps it's an unusual time to sort of ask you to perhaps draw comparison for what it was to what it is today, but... Well, I'll ask anyway. You know, what ob what observations would you make of the changes that, that have taken place? Oh, look, it, it is a bit hard to say because I've effectively uh, um, arrived um, at a time of a great national uh, crisis, a great global crisis, and so um, um, the public services at its best in these times. Um, many of us have probably worked through previous uh, uh, crises. I was in the immigration portfolio during the GFC, um, and while we were impacted by it, certainly the work pressure that we had was nothing like uh, Treasury or uh, other departments um, had. Uh, but I was in the Prime Minister's department when the tsunami, the Asian tsunami hit, uh, for example, in the early 2000s. Um, I was in immigration uh, for September 11, um, and the, the public service um, is a powerful instrument uh, in responding um, to crises. We work very well together. Um, Canberra is small enough that most of us know each other, uh, and so um, most issues can be dealt with through a phone call um, or a phone conference, um, and we get on with it. Um, and I still see that very much uh, in abundance, in fact, even more so. Uh, you know, this is the biggest uh, crisis that we've faced since World War II and the biggest economic crisis that we've faced since the Great Depression. Uh, and uh, I think that the public service is performing magnificently. So it's hard for me to draw a comparison between mm. what I saw previously and what I see last time, because I still see many things that are familiar. I see public servants who are, um, who are focused on working for the national interest. Um, I see people who are proud um, of the contribution they can uh, make. Um, I see people who are humble because uh, 
um, we have jobs and we know that many fellow Australians have lost jobs um, uh, recently. Uh, but uh, if we do our job well, uh, we can help those people um, through this period and get back into work. Um, I see people who um, are working really strongly together uh, and with industries, uh, you know, I'm in a, in a very regular set of discussions with the President of the National Farmers Federation, for example, and many other um, industry um, sectors, and I know that's being replicated all around the public service. Uh, so it's hard to draw a comparison because it's uh, um, a different period, mm. but I see many great things um, occurring, which I'm really pleased to be part of. That was, a, that was an interesting point that Catherine Jones made last week in our discussion about that connection to industry that the public service has. It's perhaps probably not well understood. So could you perhaps expand on that a little? Yeah, it is an area that I think um, the current crisis is probably forging new links and new... Uh, relationships. Uh, that's because nationally we need to work on these issues together. Mm. Uh, so the work that's being done through the uh, National Coordination Mechanism in, uh, in the Department of Home Affairs uh, that each portfolio is uh, undertaking, we obviously have a very strong focus on uh, issues associated with the environment, with water and agriculture. Uh, and that's replicated across uh, um, all of the departments. Um, I'm seeing uh, relationships with industry uh, that were probably there, but uh, you know they're being used and they're working hard. You know, mm. we are working on problems together. Uh, for example, um, to uh, ensure that there is a um, an easy access to my portfolio, um, I've appointed a senior industry engagement officer to be the focal point um, for our connection with agricultural industries. Uh, uh, so Mark Tucker, who's a former deputy secretary of the department, uh, uh, we brought him out of retirement, uh, and, um, and he is very much the point person for us um, in sorting our problems, um, in hearing what's going on uh, and bringing that into the policy discussions with the Minister and, uh, and myself and, um, and others. And I think that that model um, is replicating as well. Mm. You now, you, you came back after five years um, into the public service and you had a great career there at EY. You were going along very happily. What, what, what drew you back? What, why did you want to come back and, and do this job again? Oh, look, uh, to be perfectly honest, uh, if, the, if the Prime Minister uh, or the head of the Prime Minister's department rings you up and says that, uh, you know, that they've got a job that they'd like you to do, it's very hard to say no. Um, and so, uh, as you said at the beginning <laughs> of the podcast, I... Uh, uh, I spent 34 years as an Australian public servant. I started as a 20-year-old, as a graduate in the Prime Minister's Department, and um, I ended up as Secretary of the then Department of Agriculture, Fisheries and Forestry. Um, and so my whole lifetime has been as part of the Australian Public Service. Uh, I love the work that I did over the last six years. Um, I learned a lot. Um, I did understand a lot more about business. Uh, I worked in a business that needed to make a profit uh, and therefore uh, it does bring a certain sharpness to your activities. But I had the chance to work with many different um, industries and, uh, and government departments over that period, so uh, it gave me a perspective I wouldn't have otherwise had. But when you have the opportunity to, uh, to, to lead a Commonwealth government department, um, You'd, uh, you'd need to have a pretty good reason to say no, and I couldn't think of that. I, uh, I could only think of reasons to say yes. <laughs> Indeed. Well, listen, um, in the spirit of inno innovation and doing new things, um, I've been speaking to, to Drew from IPA, 
And he's been chatting with the future leaders committee that they have over at IPA. And what we're going to do is incorporate some questions um, from the future leaders committee uh, during this podcast. And a question for you, Andrew, from Kylie Hiley at the Australian Public Service Commission is, the current situation with COVID-19 has many discussions landing back with once we are back to normal. What is something that you see will be changed for the better that won't be part of the new way of operating in the future APS leadership world? Oh, that's a very good question, Kylie. Um, uh, I've thought a fair bit about whether the world will be the same um, or not, and it, it's just too hard to uh, imagine um, what the outcome of this will be, because uh, this will continue on for quite a while, I suspect. Um, and you, you've mentioned though, that before. Like, it, yeah. Are you talking the six months that the Prime Minister talks about, or are we really talking, you know, 12 months, 18 months? Uh, well, you, you probably need to, uh, to ask the Chief Medical Officer uh, that question. In Australia, clearly, um, um, the actions that have been taken are proving effective, and the, um, the cooperation that Australians have shown um, in being highly compliant uh, around social distancing and, uh, and uh, isolation and staying at home over Easter, for example, mm. um, are clearly working. Um, and so that's a tribute to the leadership that we have um, from the Premiers, uh, the Prime Minister, Health Ministers and others, um, but also the fact that I think Australians get it, uh, that, uh, um, that uh, we need to look after each other. And the best way to look after each other is to keep a safe distance from each other uh, mm. for the time being. Um, but thinking globally, um, you know, we, what we've seen is this pandemic sort of rolling around the world um, firstly, China, uh, then other parts of Asia, uh, South Korea, um, then uh, you know the tragic uh, um, um, events that have unfolded in Italy and Spain, and now the UK, and then of course the United States um, is now the global centre. Um, what we don't know is what's happening in some parts of the world, um, which are developing uh, nations, yeah. which may not have the same reporting um, arrangements, um, uh, certainly not the same testing arrangements, and certainly not the same uh, medical um, facilities. And so that's why I think this will keep going for quite a while. Uh, and that will mean that uh, uh, for many um, of our trading partners, many of the countries that we have close relationships with, the ease of movement of people um, and goods, um, the ability for us to just get on a plane and end up in a yeah. spectacularly different part of the world um, um, or for people from around the world to visit us is going to be different. Uh, and that will take some time. Now, coming back to the question, I think that the, the change that I hope is a positive and is long-lasting is that more profound set of relationships between the public service and the rest of the economy and business. Um, some departments are well joined up, um, others are um, using this to improve. Okay. And one of the things that I really did feel, having had six years uh, working in the private sector, is that there is a, often a disconnect between the private sector understanding government and some parts of government understanding of the private sector. And for uh, um, the, the tragic regions of the pandemic, uh, we're getting to know each other a lot better, and that's only for the good. What about this notion of speed, of being able to move and do things and be able to adapt far quicker than the, the public service has been able to in, in, in the past? Is that something that will stay? Will that be a legacy, that will, the bureaucracy will be lessened? Uh, 
I don't know the answer to that. Um, I'd, I'd hope so. Uh, what we are seeing now and what we saw with the GFC, what we saw with the Asian tsunami, what we saw with, the, uh, with September 11, um, there's a clear sense of purpose. Uh, there's a clear problem that we're all working to, um, to approach. So everyone gets up in the morning and we know what our job is. It's to um, deal with the consequences of the pandemic, um, to ensure that critical functions of government continue to run uh, and uh, that we have a, um, a, a permissive environment to, to cut across borders, mm. to cut across boundaries, um, to, to work um, in a highly collegiate way. Uh, now, I hope that that continues in a, you know, when we get back to the new normal, uh, yep. whatever that may look like. Um, um, but we won't have the same um, sense of uh, crisis or purpose. So the question is, how can we find a sense of purpose that motivates us all, um, that in, inspires uh, quick action, but also um, inspires actions that if we make a mistake, we fix it and we move on, um, rather than the fear of failure um, as well. Now, one aspect of that is, uh, and I'm certainly uh, um, a very strong advocate for accountability uh, and for um, um, ensuring that um, actions are properly uh, uh, reviewed and uh, responded to. Um, but we also have a very healthy system uh, of looking backwards at problems. Uh, and, um, um, and so in taking the emergency action that we're taking in working in a very rapid manner uh, to overcome problems, um, I think it will also be incumbent upon those accountability bodies um, to be aware of that context when they undertake their role in the future of looking back at what happened and what didn't happen and how things are done and why things were done. Uh, because um, uh, otherwise you can find situations where people do become risk averse mm. because they're ultimately worried about the consequences from someone who has the luxury uh, in a year or two of sitting back without that sense of crisis and, and raking over exactly what people did at any particular time. Mm. Okay, listen, we'll, we'll close with a final question from the IPA Young Leaders Committee, and it's Steph McLennan at Geoscience Australia. And her question to you, Andrew, is something I'd like to hear about is the unexpected outcomes from this situation. What surprised or inspired you over the last few weeks? Uh, well, thanks, Steph. And look, I'll just return to that uh theme I've been talking about. It's about relationships. And so even though we're working in quite different ways, um, you know, uh, for those who can't see us here in this uh, podcast, David and I are well separated. Um, Studio 19. Uh, we, are, uh, um, uh, we are learning to work um, in a virtual sense. Um, um, and you know, look, humans are social creatures, and so normally we enjoy each other's company. Uh, we uh, um, use body language and other ways of uh, communicating. Um, my working days now, Steph, are on the end of a, a phone uh, in my um, home office, uh, in my shed uh, out at Sutton, uh, where I'm able to connect with the world uh, and where from, you know, First thing in the morning to uh, quite often late in the evening, um, I'm on telephone conferences with different people. Um, but there are senses of partnerships. There's also a sense that we need to look after each other. Uh, and uh, so frequently when I'm talking with my own staff uh, through videos and other messages, 
I just remind people about the fact that we all need to be kind to each other. Um, and that's something I've seen from um, the highest leadership of government uh, right through, that people are um, accepting that we are all under pressure in some way or another, um, that we are all doing our best, uh, but we need to care for each other um, um, as well, both in our working relationships and our, with our friends and with our families and whatever. So I hope that perhaps out of this um, comes a new respect for each other, um, a new sense that as Australians we have risen to the challenge um, and a sense that we um, you know, have looked after each other. Well, Andrew Matcuff, thank you so much for coming in and giving us a bit of your, your time today. Just in terms of the, the hours that you're working, seven days a week, 18 hours a day, is it that sort of thing at the oh. moment that you're always on? Uh, look, uh, no, it's not. Um, you know, there's a bit of downtime um, as well. In these jobs, as we all know, I think you never sort of completely clock off. Um, uh, you know, you're always checking the email and the WhatsApp and the, the, the text messages and everything else. Um, and so work tends to sort of spread to feel the available hours. Mm. But uh, um, the working patterns for me are... Uh, you know, usually a, a catch up with my team um, first thing in the morning, and uh, and then a series of uh, uh, fairly structured meetings through the day and the week. Uh, uh, regular catch up with my uh, division heads, regular catch up with uh, the three ministers in the portfolio, regular catch up, uh, as I said before, um, uh, with the prime minister, secretaries, board, um, uh, my state counterparts, my New Zealand counterpart. Um, so the working week is sort of populated in that way, mm. uh, and then there are many other sort of ad hoc issues that come along. Um, but look, uh, uh, it's important to get a bit of time for rest and exercise as well, and so I'm doing that. Very so. good. Well, rest up, um, because as you say, there's, there's a long path ahead, and thank you for your service. Thank you com for coming in today. Uh, and thanks to you, the audience. Fantastic uh, feedback and response to the first edition of Work With Purpose. Um, so keep it up. Uh, and if you can, uh, do a review on your particular podcast uh, app. That would be useful, because it helps the podcast to be found. And indeed, if you see some of the social media promotion come around, if you could share it and spread it around such that people will come to know and understand a little bit more about the work of the Australian Public Service. But for the moment, uh, thank you very much for listening once again, and we'll be back at the same time next week. So thanks very much. Bye for now. Work With Purpose is a production of Content Group in partnership with the Institute of Public Administration Australia and with the support of the Australian Public Service Commission.